Welcome to Writers with Wrinkles, where authors Beth McMullen and Lisa Schmidt iron out the wrinkles in writing, publishing, and everything in between, one podcast at a time. So friends, we all know pacing is absolutely crucial in a successful action-adventure novel. But what is a foolproof way to give an action-adventure story momentum? Today on episode 34, we look to answer that question among others. And if you want to know, stay where you are and we will be right back. friends. We are very excited to welcome author Misa Sugira to the podcast today. Misa's ancestors include a poet, a priestess, a samurai, and a stowaway. Momo Arashima Steals the Sword of the Wind is her first middle grade novel and is inspired by the gods and monsters of her parents' home country of Japan. Misa is also the author of three young adult novels. Her debut novel, It's Not Like It's a Secret, which won the ALA Asian American Literature Award and the critically acclaimed This Time Will Be Different and Love and Other Natural Disasters. Misa was born and raised in Chicagoland, but eventually found her way to her true home in Northern California, where she lives under a giant oak tree with her husband, two sons, and a cat named Mouse. Thank you so much for joining us, Misa. (laughs) Thank you. I'm glad to be here. How did you end up naming your cat Mouse? That is just so cute. And I'm like a demented cat person. So I love these stories. (laughs) So my son, my oldest son, brought her home one day from work. He was working at a pool and like this little kitten kept following him around. And and he's like, I'm going to let's call her Mouse because she's small and gray. So that's... (laughs) So cute. cute. I feel like I got all of the cats that I had as a kid in that same way, I'd find them abandoned at a park or in a parking lot at a store. And then I just, I always brought them home. He rang the doorbell because he you know, was holding her. And I was like, what? And he's like, can we keep her? He's standing oh. there in front of me. Like, you can't say no. <laughs> oh, that is so adorable. That like just yeah. melts my heart. I'm yeah. I brought home a cat once when I was younger and we just had another cat and that cat had um, died from this pretty awful disease. And it was very traumatic. And I was at a park with my friends and I found this kitten and I stuffed it in my shirt because I felt like if I could get it into the house, there's no way that my parents would make me, you know, get rid of it after I got it in the house. And I remember my father opening the door and I have the cat and the cat, the minute he opened the door, the cat like jumped out of my shirt and like had its head sticking out. And I was like, oh, I'm busted. But they let me keep her. And that cat, I think, lived to be 20. I was long gone. You know, she was around for a long time. Mm. So great. I love those stories. So before we jump into the questions, the new middle grade series, the first one is out. When does the second one come out? Because I was looking around for that information. I couldn't find it. Do you have a title and a release date for that one? We have a title. And uh, so the title is Momo Arashima Breaks the Mirror of the Sun. You try to keep your titles thematically linked. <laughs> and the release date, probably similar to the first one, Momarashima Steals the Sword of the Wind. So that was early March, I think. So yeah, it should I be think right it was around early then. March. Yeah. I looked it up. Yeah. So probably, okay. How many are planned in this series? Three. 
so far. So there was like, yeah, an option for a fourth, but I, I think I'm going to wrap it up at three. I always get real bored after book three. And then I feel like I'm recycling and I'm just bored of my own self by that by that point. So I do want to say I read an early copy of the first one and it's yeah. it was great. It was just like, I think for kids who like this action adventure fantasy blend, this is a great selection. Certainly would be great for summer reading because it's fun and it's exciting. And I, yeah, I, I'm a huge fan. This is the kind of, these are the kind of books that I like to read. So I was, I'm super excited to know that there's another one coming. Yay. <laughs> I'm curious, and this is probably good for both of you. How long does it take when you finish writing a series to get those characters' voices out of your head? Do you know what I mean? So like when you're writing the next book that you're not replicating that voice or sounding similar. Yeah. I don't know, Beth, you could probably speak to that more. So I've only haven't finished my series yet. <laughs> I have strange voices in my head all the time, but I'm not sure not if helpful. they're my, I know Lisa's not talking about my, you know, utter insanity. She's talking about the characters. We've asked this question of different authors that have come on the show primarily because when you're jumping from series to series, and I've done three middle grade series at this point, I feel like there always needs to be a period of time where I'm trying to flush out the characters from before and let the new ones take up the space. But I mean, yeah, because you're right in the middle. So you're you're like fully still in with these characters. Yes. Well, this kind of leads perfectly into our very first question. So we do get a lot of questions about moving back and forth between genres, and you have successfully navigated from young adult to middle grade. Um, can you talk about how that worked for you and how you decided to take to take this jump? Yeah. So, I mean, it was the short answer. It was, is that it was easy and fun and felt really natural. The longer answer is, I guess that actually the very first story that I ever thought I wanted to write was a middle grade portal fantasy based on a, a legend from Jap like this Japanese history drama that I saw like years and years ago. And so, but, but at the time that was pretty much all it was. It was like, I would like to write a Jap like a portal fantasy for middle grade based, you know, with, with characters from this legend, but I didn't know how to write a story. I didn't know how to write characters. And while I was teaching myself how to do all that stuff, I stumbled across a YA contemporary novel. And I was like, I just had like a light bulb went off and I was like, oh, like this is something I already know how to do. And I don't know why I thought that. <laughs> <laughs> because all writing starts with some delusion. So that was your moment. <laughs> I mean, I, I taught high school before. So I think maybe it was like, I have those kinds of stories in me already and those characters were there kind of maybe. I don't know anyway so I threw myself into that and that sort of worked out well for me and I had you know one book two books three books and sort of by the time I was in the process of writing my third book I just kind of started getting that itch to go back to the original ideas that I'd had because now I feel like okay now I can write a story I know how to develop character and I don't know I think at the same time that was when the Rick Riordan presents series were starting to gain traction and I was like oh like that's a thing I can actually do and I had hadn't really occurred to me that I could use gods and monsters and so now I had like all these other ideas. so anyway yeah and I was YA'd out a little bit it's kind of done with teenagers for some reason maybe because my kids at that point were sort of they had like I now had a teenager I don't know you were living a YA novel at this point. Yeah. yes <laughs> you want to go back to the simpler times I think yeah. that's true like when you're surrounded by teenagers you're like yeah I don't want them in my head all the time I need a break yeah. 
That is really, it's interesting to hear that this story was kind of percolating in the background for a long time. Did you feel like when you started to write it, you already had some things that had come together in your mind, just almost like subconsciously before you started? Or did you feel like you had kind of the general idea and then it was like, okay, now I have to fill in all this stuff? Yeah, it was more the the second way. Like one more thing I knew how to do. I already had a sense of the gods and monsters, right? So before I just like in the very beginning when I was like, I want to write a story. I actually didn't know any. <laughs> I didn't know of any of the mythology or the um, the stories around Shinto the Shinto religion. What are what are some iconic stories? Like I'll teach myself to write stories by rewriting stories that have lasted for centuries, and that's how I learned. And I thought Japanese myths would be a good place to start. So that's when I actually learned about the Japanese myths. I'm calling them myths, but it's more like legends and and, and sort of religious stories, right? Because it's a, a living religion. So I guess when I decided to move from YA to middle grade, I had a larger store of stories, larger cash to draw from. And I had all these great models, right? Like there was the Arusha was out by that point. Like I, I before I start writing a any kind of book, even I try to read a lot in the genre, right? So I read a bunch of Rick Riordan, I read Arusha, and then I was like, okay, now I, I know the structure, I know some of the conventions and the tropes, and uh, this idea of like shifting from like setting to setting to setting to setting, like helping to keep moving the plot along, that kind of thing. My younger son was like 10 at the time, and so I bounced a lot of ideas off of him, which I think was helpful. <laughs> I spent a few months trying to get myself ready, I guess. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't there right at the beginning. The second question that we wanted to ask you, some of this has been answered, but because your YA novels are very relationship oriented, I think you do such a wonderful job with those awkward teenage cringy moments that, you know, as a reader, you're, you're laughing, but you're also really feeling such empathy for these people going through what some of us can remember or what people are going through actually in the moment. I think that stuff is so wonderful in your YA, but As you've described, this middle grade series is fantasy action adventure, very different plotting, very different pacing. So did you ever find that to be a challenge moving from these very relationship contemporary storylines to this other really different style of storytelling? Yeah, that's another yes and no. So like I... Yeah, that's always the trouble with my YA novels when I was writing them. Like I would start with a character and like really build out the character and like some of the secondary characters. And then and then I would be like, and now what do they do? (laughs) You know, and you're limited by especially because it wasn't, you know, I wasn't writing road trip novels. You're limited by the setting. You're limited by the like you you have a limited cast of characters and like the laws of physics, (laughs) space and time. Like so having that freedom was really freeing. Not to be redundant or anything. <laughs> no, but that's true because you feel like you're just playing in a different space. Yeah, totally. And I mean, and I had great models. Like I was lucky enough to be friends with this amazing middle grade adventure, action adventure author named Beth McMullen. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of her. <laughs> She's a hack. <laughs> <laughs> I read a couple of her books and kind of studied for pace and character. And then I talked to her, to you, Beth. I, I think we exchanged some emails or maybe talked on the phone a little bit about like, the difference between middle grade characters and YA characters and like you can use a little bit broader strokes and the importance of pacing and I had great models I guess and then once I figured out this thing like I, I figured out especially from Arusha and the end of time 
I like I really studied it. I broke down the chapters. I noticed like where the transitions were and like how often she was like moving from place to place to place to place. And I was like, okay, that's what I need to do. And I have this big bin of places and characters now that I've collected but while doing my research and I, I already knew and the great thing about writing an adventure novel is that you don't have the adventure unless you already have that goal in mind right so it was just a matter of putting in all the different settings really and once I figured that out it was actually it went quite quickly have you found because obviously you're you're either well into or done with the second one mm-hmm. did you ever have a moment that you wished you'd done something differently in book one or did you do you have a good plot arc in your head already for book one, two, three? Because I never seem to be able to learn that what I did in book one was what I was stuck with. So I should really think it through. So I'm curious if you, in the experience of writing the second book, if you ever had any of those moments where you thought, uh-oh, I wish I'd done that this way because now I have to do this that way. Yeah, I I made a couple of rules of magic and I can't remember what they are right now, but it definitely constrained what I could do in the second book. Yeah, I think it was, uh, in fact, I may have broken them and and, 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 and any very careful readers might notice, <laughs> but it was things like, you know, the only person who can undo a curse or a spell is the person who cast it, which... That's complicated. But, yes, yes. And uh, I think that may have gone out the window in book two. <laughs> Did you, do you have a series Bible? I have not made one. Beth didn't have one either. And we always hear these people are who have this whole series Bible so that they can refer back to it and it makes it easier. I can't even remember characters' names from the previous book. And I only have one out. So I don't know how you guys remember all that. It's a mess. By the time you get to your third book and you go out to a school visit and a kid asks you something about the first book, you're like, what? I have no idea. What are you talking about? So you're trying to play along with them because you don't want to look like an author who has some sort of, you know, memory issues and can't remember the words she actually wrote, but that it happens. Yeah, exactly. And it, it's the small details. It's like the rules of magic. Like you were just saying, Misa, where you're, you've said, and it worked really well in the moment. And then later you're like, okay, this is going to kill me. Cause I'm, I don't know how to undo it. I mean, the whole plot of book one is sort of predicated on this idea that some that the one guy is refusing to take back the spell that he cast, and there's no way to break it. And then book two, kind of all about how she breaks somebody else's spell. But there's an evolution there. No, that like that could work. I think because you're saying this one thing is absolute. And then in the second book, the whole idea is that, oh, it's not absolute because this character is going to figure out how to fix yeah. it. So I think you can get away with that. And then book three, I don't know. I think you're going to, that's going to be tough. <laughs> Oof, I know. I know exactly. So you've made, you've done both YA and MG. They're both very mm-hmm. different. And I know you've probably had marketing challenges. It's just, they're so different, like how you're going to, target those YA readers and those MG readers, because usually it's the the parents buying the middle grade books. Um, mm-hmm. but then you have those sassy teenagers that come in and want to buy their own YA books. <laughs> so how are you, how did you make that shift and how did you market to each one? One thing that I love about middle grade is that that school visits are a thing, right? Where you can talk to like more than one class at a time 
And that happened, you know, during my launch week and it was so much fun. And it's not a thing you really do for YA unless you're like Angie Thomas or Nick Stone, you know? So (laughs) I wish I had really understood that leading up to that week. And I would have scheduled a lot more school visits because, you know, you sell books at the school, like kids, and then kids get excited and they like pass the books around. And are you active on social media or does that play a role in any of your marketing? I am fairly active, but not with any particular, I'm not good at it, let's put it that way. Like I, I don't have, you know, some people just like know and they have an audience in mind and I just, just throw stuff up there. I hear you. That's my entire strategy. <laughs> I don't know. Like here, take, take this. Don't take it. Ugh, I know yeah. it's, it's a chore, but, you know, and I'm like, oh, this is going to be really good. I'm going to create these really cool graphics and make a little video out of them. And like, you know, it gets like 15 likes. I'm like, <laughs> Okay, I, just I know, spent and you're three like, hours. I spent hours on this <laughs> yeah. thing. I, I know the return on investment is not great. You're talking about school visits, and mm-hmm. those are, I think, really fun in a lot of cases. Are you gearing up to go out more next year? If they're teachers, educators, whoever listening, and they want to book you, do they just reach out to you? How are you handling that for the next year? Yes, right now I am probably the easiest contact. All right. So they can find your contact on your website. You know, what's funny is that all of us here right now are California based. And I find that California does way less author visits and author engagement at schools than a lot of other states. And I've never quite been able to figure out why. So, you know, I get more requests from the East Coast, the Midwest, um, the Southwest than I do from California. And I, I don't know. I mean, my kids went through an entire uh, school system and I don't think they ever had an author come from outside. It's an interesting thing to think about though, because I know a state like Texas, for example, has a super active librarian culture. Mm -hmm. They bring tons of authors in way more than you see here. I think that's true. I know when my son was in elementary school, I kind of had to fight to get author visits. Well, you were the only one who did it. Like you'd bring people in, but it was you as you, not somebody, you know, at the school saying, hey, can you help us do this? Yeah, I practically had to do a PowerPoint presentation (laughs) to get it in. And then my first author visit, my very first author visit, and I called Beth from the parking lot. I got kicked out of the school. (laughs) What? Yes. Oh my God, I can't believe we've never talked about this. So I had... (laughs) It was my very first author visit and the middle school, it was going to be my son's middle school. I was, he was going there the next year and they asked me to come and do an author visit. And I'm like, yeah, it's my first author visit. I was so excited. And it was in the library and I was going to be speaking to two classes. So there was one class that would come in and then the second wave was going to come in. And so I did the first one and it went great and everyone was super excited. And then like, but as I was doing the first one, I could see kind of a little commotion going on in the background with the librarian and the two teachers that were there. And so afterwards they come up to me and they said, do you have insurance? And I'm like, I'm like, what? And they said, do you have insurance? And I said, um, what kind of insurance? And they're like, you know, just to be here. And I'm like, no, I don't. And I don't think you need it. And I was a mom and I was like a level two mom that had been clearance that had clearance mm-hmm. to you know, be around kids. <laughs> so anyway, she's like, we're going to have to ask you. 
And so, and I was just sitting there thinking, no, this is crazy. And the kids were walking in. They're like, turn around, turn around. Like, I was so crazy. So awful. Oh, my God. So they yes. escorted me off the property. <laughs> like, actively wow. let, escorted me out of the library. And I was traumatized. And so I ended up. The, the the person who had me kicked out was an admin person who thought that of course. I needed, right? And I said, did she talk to anybody? Did any, you know, it was just, it was something that she interpreted that for some reason she didn't check it out with the principal. It just got, a message just got handed down that you need to get her out of here. She doesn't have insurance. And so that was my very first author visit. <laughs> I was so upset and I called Beth and I'm like, Oh my God, I've just been kicked out of a school. Yeah, actually, I I have had that. And in fact, I'm on a like a like a local author discord where someone brought that up too, where some schools require event insurance that the author carry event insurance. And it was weird because it was this was a school that I had actually presented at before. And then the second time they're like, uh, sorry, this time you, you actually have to have this thing. And it was like, I, I'm like, seriously, but so the librarian was awesome. She was like, just like, here's something, you know, like a cheap one day place you can get it and include that in your invoice and we'll cover it as part of the, as, as part of your payment. But like, that, I mean, I, I got lucky. Right. But, but then someone else was saying like, you actually don't need it and you can fight back and say, you don't need you it. You don't. So what, what ended up happening is I think I contacted SCBWI and this is when you belong to a professional organization this is where you lean into them and tap into your resources. And the attorney got a hold of me for SCBWI and she said, I'm going to look into this for you. And so she looked into it and then the school was calling and apologizing and, you know, it wasn't needed, but there are places that it is needed. So here's the takeaway today. If you are doing school visits, make sure you call ahead of time and see if you need an insurance writer. A lot of times they will tell you too. They'll tell you in the correspondence yes. what you need. But, you know, I mean, for some places where it is fairly new, it could slip through the cracks yeah. and then you show up and they're like, sorry, which that is just, that is a bad look for the school. Right oh, there. Yeah. I saw somebody at the grocery store and they're like, oh, I heard you got kicked out of school. And I'm just like, Oh my no, gosh. This is bad. <laughs> Local scandal right there. <laughs> well, this has been awesome. We have used up our time with you, so we don't want to keep you forever, even though we'd like to. So thank you so much for being here and sharing these, these insights. I am so excited for anybody out there who has not read your new middle grade series to go pick up the first one. I am looking forward to the second one already. So thank you for oh, being thanks. here today. Thank you, Beth. Thank you, Lisa. And thank you listeners for tuning in. Please follow and review our podcast and recommend it to a friend if you like it. And we thank you in advance for your support in that area. And we will see you again next week, July 3rd, for a brand new books on Botox episode. So be sure to join us for that. And until then, happy reading, writing, and listening. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Writers with Wrinkles. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. This helps others find the show, and we greatly appreciate it. Thanks again for tuning in. 
and we'll catch you in the next episode.